0: Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com.
1: Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. Are you a fan of The Simpsons? Well, if so, this is an episode for you. As my guest this week and next is writer Mike Scully. Now, Mike Scully has been a writer for The Simpsons for uh, probably 87 years. ...which is only half of the run of that show... ...but he has also been involved with Everybody Loves Raymond... ...with Parks and Recreation... ...and he and his wife Julie co-created and run an animated show... ...that is going to start its second season pretty soon on Fox... ...called Duncanville. It's a fascinating interview. Mike Scully is one of those writers... ...you've seen the name for years... ...but you don't really know who he is... ...well, you're going to have a chance to meet him... In part one, we spend an awful lot of time talking about The Simpsons. So let's get it going. Hollywood and Levine with Mike Scully, this week starting now. Well, Mike, the first thing I want to talk about is something that you had mentioned to me. You know, when writers start out, you can really tell the difference between those who are passionate about wanting to get in the business and those that are like oh, okay yeah this would be sort of fun but the ones who are passionate you know show ingenuity and you were telling me a story about how you used to attend the cheers filmings talk oh, yeah. a little bit about that <laughs> yeah
0: well, i moved out here uh, in the early 80s and started going to tapings of shy saw some uh, uh, taxis and and family ties and and I went to to see some Cheers tapes and the tickets were so popular for Cheers um, that um, like the lines would would be at Paramount early to get these tickets they would go very quickly and then you'd come back and stand in line to wait to get in uh, I went to a local print shop in Glendale and it says on the tickets that it was illegal to make copies of these tickets. And I went to a print shop, and I showed them to the guy who owned the print shop, and I said, could you make copies of these? Uh, He goes, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so that way I'd always have a ticket to go to the Cheers taping. I believe they were Friday nights, weren't they?
1: No, they were Tuesday nights. Oh,
0: Tuesday night, Yeah, Mm because there was Tuesday shows and Friday shows. Right. Taxi
1: Uh, was Friday and Cheers was Tuesday. We shared the same crew.
0: Yeah, but uh I loved it, man. I was I couldn't like soak it up enough, you know, sitting in the bleachers up there and I would hang out for pickups afterward and uh and and you know, kind of see everybody with their guard down a little bit and you know, uh but it it was really a lot of fun. Those were uh I, I think it was Earl Pomerantz did some of the warm-ups and yep. Uh, yep. So it yeah. would have been
1: early like second third season, that type of thing.
0: Right, yeah. I did yeah. the
1: warm ups the first season.
0: Oh, I'm sure I must have seen you do I because I'm pretty sure I was there first season. Uh, yeah, I got to see a lot of different <clears throat> things, including that there was the episode where well actually where Shelley Long was pregnant, so you guys were trying to figure out ways to hide her, and there's that episode where she's under the floor. Right. In the you were bar. there for that one?
1: <laughs> I was there for that and you that only was season see her three.
0: <laughs> that was three? Okay. Yeah, that was yeah. season three because you only see her face through like a heating grate or something in the floor, which I I thought was amazing. But yeah, I loved it. I love going to all those shows.
1: Were you writing spec scripts at the time? What Uh, were you doing to try to break in?
0: Oh God. Yeah. Uh, Writing uh, spec scripts. I had no like formal training or anything. So I, I went to uh, Larry Edmonds bookstore in Hollywood and they would sell used TV scripts for like Taxi and Barney Miller uh, and, you know, shows like that. And you could buy them for like three or four bucks. So I would just buy them and kind of study them. And once, sometimes I'd get lucky and see the episode on TV and I could like follow it with the script. That's exactly
1: (laughs) what my partner David and I did. Oh, That's really? exactly <laughs> what we did, yeah. We went to Larry Edmonds' bookstore. Back then, we got Odd Couple and Mary Tyler Moore scripts off a remainder table for like $2. And we watched the shows, and we basically figured it out.
0: Yeah, same here, because it really, like watching them and with the scripts and just reading the scripts over and over, it really started to demystify the process for me. I was starting to, like, see the structure, you know, you know in the story and where right. the breaks were and how it built and uh, all that stuff that I wasn't conscious of watch, just watching. But having the script to use as a guide, it really, like I said, it demystified the process for me. And I started writing spec scripts. I wrote, like, my God, uh, I wrote a total of 11 spec scripts uh, for various shows, including uh, Taxi and Cheers um you know trying to break it. each time i would get rejected at a higher level uh, okay for, yeah.
1: okay so yeah. how'd you finally break in
0: uh i finally got in i was um writing jokes for uh russian comedian yakov smirnov sure there, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh it was around the time when he was doing the miller light ads and he was kind of you know, blowing up a little, you know, in America and he was doing the tonight shows and he got a series called what a country. It was a first run syndicated show, like straight to syndicate. So, uh, he got me on staff, uh, on that, uh, show and you know, the show only lasted one year, but it got me in, you know, into writing and, and, into the guild and, uh, you know, things were kind of off and running from there. And, bounced around different shows shows like out of this world and and
1: uh is that the one with there. donna Pescal?
0: yep yeah
1: i can't believe i remember that
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well she was probably doing angie on the paramount lot when yes. you were, right? mm-hmm. yeah 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 mm-hmm. no, she she's super nice and very funny uh and um so i just kind of moved around and learned a lot and like it, it, on out of this world the showrunner just left one day, like, and never came back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this guy who is like the EP of a show is a guy named Bob Booker, who produced comedy albums in the 60s, like the first family album with Vaughn Meter. And, sure. So he wasn't really like a writer, writer, and he needed somebody to run the show. I was a story editor, but he knew how like, eager I was <laughs> to learn everything. So he made me the showrunner, but kept me at my story editor salary. (laughs) Uh, But I got to learn a lot, you know. Like suddenly, I was running the room and giving notes to directors, and just kind of bluffing my way through, and you know, making my mistakes in relative obscurity.
1: That's Uh, great. How did you work your way up to The Simpsons?
0: Um, After from like around 1993, uh, I wrote a spec at that point i was kind of using the spec uh seinfeld but i also i think i had probably the first spec larry sanders script uh that was going around town before the town was flooded with
1: (laughs) good for you uh
0: and uh so that made its way over to gracie films to polly platt and richard sakai and they called me in for a meeting and sent me over to Dave Merkin. They sent the script over to David Merkin, who was running the show at the time. And then uh, Dave uh, called me in for a meeting and hired me. That was like around the end of season four of the show, four overlapping with five. And I thought, well, you know, if if this show has the run I think it's going to have, it's probably going to be around seven seasons. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, Yeah, that was 87 seasons ago.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) When you first came to The Simpsons, who was there? I guess that is already beyond the Sam Simon era.
0: Right. Sam was gone. Uh, The show was, uh, like Dave Merkin was running it. My first day uh, wound up being Conan O'Brien's last day. <laughs> uh, we we met each other in the morning at a table read. We shook hands across the table. Somebody tapped him on the shoulder and said, "You have a phone call," and he left the room, and he never came back. And we were like getting concerned, like the day was going past. Nobody had heard from him. That was the day that NBC said, "We're going with you as our late night guy." He had already done his audition show, and they made the decision to go with him. But they told him, "Stay in your apartment." Do not call anybody. Don't talk to anybody until we introduce you on the Leno show, like officially. Right. So, so yeah. So that that was my first day there, and Greg Daniels was there. Jace Richdale, George Meyer, uh, Al Jean, and Mike Reese were consulting while doing the critic <laughs> I think at the same time. Um, you know, it was a it was a great room. Uh, a
1: lot of people consider George Meyer to be an absolute genius. Oh, what yeah. was it about George Meyer that made him so special? That uh, makes him so special? He's still alive. <laughs> 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 he and Maria are doing fine up in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, yeah they're I was, still I fine.
0: I was talking with him a couple of days ago. Um, yeah, George, what... Uh, like, first of all, yeah, when I started on the show, I was very intimidated in that room because I made the mistake of reading... There was an article in Vanity Fair that came out the week before I started, and it was about the Simpsons writers' room, the dream team of television. <laughs> and I read this thing, and it, all these names that I had only seen on TV, now it was totally freaking me out. Of like, oh, my God, I'm a fraud. I'm going to get found out day <laughs> But George was... Uh, he just approached things... Differently, like uh, like a lot of times, you know how it is. You're in a room, and sometimes you're just trying to figure out one thing, and everybody's thinking the exact same area, whether it's a joke or a story, and you're all kind of going down that same road trying to figure it out. And sometimes you're just stuck, and uh, you just keep going at it. And George would be like the guy who's something like, "What if we did this instead?" You know, <laughs> and then, then like just completely changing the direction you were pitching on, or the way the story was going to go, or someone's attitude, uh, and he'd also come up with jokes that I had never heard uh, like on TV before. You know, like certain jokes are formula kind of things, and you, you know, you hear them and you hear them repeated. And a lot of times, there was George jokes where, like, oh my God, I've never heard those words put together in that way. Um, and he also he doesn't give you like courtesy laughs uh you know like <laughs> right. so when you get a george laugh it like it means a lot because you you know he's oh he actually thinks it's funny <laughs> so and we hit it off and and um i learned a lot about writing the show from you know from george and and alan mike and and you know, merkin <clears throat> uh about you know, there's that period where I really did wonder, do I belong in this room? And I don't think I said anything for the first three months on the show. Uh, and then you get in your head, you start censoring yourself and editing all your pitches and rejecting them. And then like the months go by and I'm, I'm telling my wife every night, like, we can't buy a house. We can't buy anything. I'm going to be fired. Uh, and until, and then, you know, like when you finally do pitch something, Your voice is going to be so foreign after sitting there all that time. Everyone's going to look over. So, Who's this guy?
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Did they Uh, assign you a script at least?
0: uh, I did get one that uh, first year. It was actually a story that was left behind uh, by Conan uh, called Lisa's Rival. Uh, and he had left a a lot of the story was there, and then we came up with a B story for it. A lot of it actually pitched out in the room by George, stream of consciousness. (laughs) Right. So It was more of, I I wouldn't say I was writing so much as taking dictation.
1: (laughs) But at least it allowed you to contribute in a way. Oh, yeah. And I imagine when you turned in that draft, if they were happy with it, that that went a long way towards securing your future. Uh, We're doing this on Zoom and you appear to be in a house. This does not look like a trailer. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it was well received.
0: Uh, Yeah, it worked out. And then, you know, we went through the rewrite process together in the room Uh, because, you know, every show is a little different. But, uh, you know, I would say you know, like 30% of my, you know, first draft stayed in. And, uh, and I was actually thrilled, you know, because uh, you know, I had heard that the show was notorious for, you know, kind of rewriting from page one. And, and uh, so, yeah. And then each with each progressive script, you get to keep a little more and more of your draft stays in and you get more confidence. And also you get more in, you know, I always tell the young writers when your script is being rewritten Pitch as if it's not your script, and you're just trying to help the room, and you'll wind up still getting stuff into your script. it's You're just getting it in at
1: a different. That's stage. great advice because if you are defensive about your script, oh, two gotcha. things happen. Number one, <laughs> you don't win; you don't get the stuff back, yeah. Yeah. and number two, you piss everyone off.
0: Yeah, and then they clam up, and suddenly you've got all these great like minds in the room who aren't pitching because you're being a jerk about it.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, when my partner, David Isaacs and I wrote for them, this was early on. This was really the, the Sam era. In fact, when we started, it was pretty much Sam and, um, and then other writers came along and there are all these guys from Harvard and everything else. And at one point, my partner, David, said, so where'd you guys all go to school? And they went, uh, Harvard, Harvard, Yale, Harvard, Yale, Harvard, Harvard. And David said, University of Miami, and I'm doing the same fucking job you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> did you find that to be the case? Did you go to Harvard? Uh, no,
0: I did not go to Harvard. This is, I, I actually... Uh, I didn't go to college.
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> wow. I That, that I, even beats David.
0: Yeah. No, I, 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 I what they call like attended college. <laughs> uh, I went for a day and a half to uh, in, in Massachusetts to a place called Holyoke Community College. <laughs> a day and a half? A day and a half because I, I was paying for it myself and it was like, it was like $150 a semester, but you know, this was like, you know, late seventies or mid seventies. Uh, so it was a lot of money to me. And, um, uh, and I, I got there and I really had no idea why I was there. You know, I, I graduated high school, partied all that summer, you know, with all my friends <laughs> and then Where'd like, you grow know, up in, uh, Springfield, Massachusetts.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: West, West Springfield. Yeah. And, um, but by like as the summer, like as we got into like mid-August, I noticed like the parties we getting of people I graduated with were getting more sparsely attended. Like, hey, where's everybody going? It was like <laughs> me and two of my friends that were just on the path to nowhere. And, uh, you know, and then you realize, oh, right, college. <laughs> and so at the last minute, I signed up for community college had no idea why I was there. I felt like it was high school all over again. And so if you quit in the first 48 hours, you got your, you got a full refund. So that's what I did. And then I just kind of worked jobs, uh, you know, various jobs around town for the next till I was about 25. And went to clubs and watched bands that I like. <laughs> and then at 25, I had this epiphany, still drinking with the same two guys <laughs> that, from the bar. And I just, we're sitting there like in a Burger King parking lot, drinking and listening to eight tracks. And I was like, what? and I said, when I'm 26, I'm not going to be here doing this. I've got to do something with my life. And six months later, I drove out to California and decided to take a stab at this um, you know, knowing that if if I failed, you know, I could always go back and go back to doing, you know, shitty jobs. I was, I was very good at that. Uh, so, uh, you know, it all worked out.
1: Now, your brother is also a writer.
0: Yeah, my brother, uh, Brian Scully, uh, is now retired. But, yeah, he wrote uh, for Simpsons for a couple of years, and he also wrote for Family Guy for many years and the Drew Carey show, and we did some other things together. The uh, God, what did we do? Uh, Oh, also out of this world, uh, the Royal Family, Red Fox's last show.
1: I was going to ask, did you work together like the Charles Brothers? Did you team up to write scripts, and how did that go? Uh, No, we
0: always wrote independently, uh, but we did wind up on a few shows together. Uh, so it just worked out. Uh, it was fun. We had a lot of fun, uh, writing together, but, um, uh, uh but yeah, there were a lot of people thought we started getting called around town, like the Scully boys and, uh, like we were getting like this team nickname and stuff. So, uh, but we always wrote separately.
1: Now, how weird was it though, growing up? Because especially when you're starting out, you're in competition with your peers and, you know, you hope to get a good job and you're relatively happy when they get a good job, um, less happy when they get a great job and you don't get any job. But what was it like with the added spin of being in competition with your brother?
0: Uh, um, It was actually kind of fun because when I first moved out here, he was already living here. He had come out here once to try to break in, then came back to Massachusetts uh, and then uh, came out here again. And then so I had a place to live when I first got here. I was he had this tiny apartment in Glendale and I literally slept on a cot in his closet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it was kind of a fun adventure to be on together and he knew his way around town uh, and we would go to some like the show tapings together. We were both working at the Glendale Galleria. Uh, he, he was over at JC Penny's. And uh, oh, actually, I was at a place called the Mug Tree where we did personalized coffee mugs and beer mugs and things like that. And the only reason I bring it up is I wound up meet... Uh, Zora Charles came in for an order for the Cheers. I can't remember if it was for a rap party. Um, I did like 500 Cheers beer mugs, sandblasting the Cheers logo on all these mugs.
1: I have one.
0: That, I made it.
1: <laughs> I have one. <laughs> <laughs> so that Bounce was it back to the I Simpsons. Come- we I'm were sorry. joking about the fact that they're on season... 113. (laughs) But uh, you're still associated with them, correct? Yes. Okay. How do you come up with stories? I mean, when you've done (laughs) 5 million stories, and in a lot of episodes, you'll do multiple stories. Yes. So what do you do not to repeat yourself? Or is that not even an issue? And you've told the same story six times now.
0: Yeah, well, you tell it from different angles and with different characters and try to get a different perspective on it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it does, It did get to a point. I remember one day we were working on <laughs> uh, the reason I, I remember the episode. It was episode number 274, because I remember we were talking a story and then somebody in the room says, I don't know. I feel like we've done this before. I'm having a bump with this. And I remember George turning to that writer and just with like steam coming out of his ears just going it's episode 274 (laughs) (laughs) this is gonna happen (laughs) um so yeah we do try to find fresh angles unfortunately because the simpsons has always you know always looked to kind of reflect sometimes like trends going on in the world or parenting trends and political things stuff like that you know we will like there's always something new coming along. We'll try to dig up those too, and we've explored, you know, like, you know, almost every character in the town now. <laughs> uh, where we anybody that we could hang a story on, we've done it.
1: Right. Well, that brings up another issue of sensitivity, because there are things that you guys did that were accepted, you know, globally accepted. in the early days of the show, that now, in this new woke era, are no longer PC. And so that has to be a little strange too now, I guess, because there's a certain element of well, we have to think differently here in how we develop these shows and these characters than the way we did before. And I'm sure there's way too much money for Fox to be pulling the Apu episodes out of syndication or anything, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, the the show's uh, been evolving. I mean, writing-wise, it's always been evolving um like there's stories in the early years of the show in the first like you know 10 years show there was a lot of like homer drunk driving uh where he would like come out of mo's clearly you know loaded get in the car and start driving home and and you know it was kind of like all great fun at the time but then After a while, you know, you you do hear from some people and it it does change your perspective on, you know, and I remember getting a letter from, uh, you know, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers and it was, you know, written not angrily, but very respectfully and asking us, you know, to, you know, take a second look at, you know, when we think of moments like that or, you know, give it a little more thought. And I thought they had a really valid point, you know. Other times you get mail we used to get a lot of, back when people used to write you know, letters complaining about TV shows. Right. Uh, you, know, you know, tons of mail whenever we would do a show about religion. Um, they all And they all started the same. It was always, it, my family and I have always enjoyed watching The Simpsons until last night. <laughs> and then the problem was, you'd find out was, Oh they enjoyed all the other episodes about religion and thought those were funny but now it's their religion. Right. <laughs> and now and now it ain't so funny. So the show has definitely evolved on a lot of stuff and I think you know in good ways like in the same way that I think shows like in the 70s evolved into more realistic like portrayals of families with you know all in the family like I remember watching it, like, oh, I feel like I know these people. Uh, I feel like one of them actually lives in my house. <laughs> uh, so, I, and then, so then, you know, now, yeah, there's some stuff where I think sometimes it's just oversensitivity, but I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's good for the show. It keeps you current. Um, the casting issues that came up, you know, we've tried to explain to people when you're doing animation, the idea is to get, to as many characters as possible out of as few actors as possible. <laughs> right. Um, You know, and, you know, that starts out as for, you know, financial reasons, you know, for, for the studio, but also logistically. I mean, you know, like to put to sh- uh, an animated show together, to get the actors in for table reads and records and pickups and through all, if you've got kind of like, you know, one person just doing each, like, if you're trying to hire a different actor for each character, logistically it becomes you know impossible to actually produce an episode of TV because. It's one of the in,
1: advantages of doing animation.
0: Yeah, exactly. And in any given episode, you don't really notice, but sometimes like sixty to eighty characters will appear in through one episode. They might only have one line or uh, that sort of thing, but it's not just the family and a few other characters. It's a lot. So, you know, that being said, I think there's been some um, and, and also it was never done with any sort of like, you know, malice. And you try to remind people like when people complained about Simpsons morals or, or things like that you know, or, or their ethics or, or disrespect like that. I would try to remind people the Simpsons are the only family that go to church every week on television. <laughs> and thought
1: and know, about that. That's true.
0: You know, look at that side. You know, of the show also. Don't just look at the thing that offends you. You know, look at a bigger picture. With Apu, um, I, I love the character of Apu, and I and Hank Azaria did a great job. It was never a mocking portrayal. Uh, it actually was a very three-dimensional portrayal. Uh, particularly when we started writing the character more that way, because he was so he to me he brought a lot of humanity and heart to that character of what could have easily been like a one joke, quickie Mart thing. And when we got out of that, we started doing episodes where Apu got married and then he had kids. And then we did an immigration episode that would be just as relevant today as it is when we did it the first time. And a lot of that was credited to Hank making the character a real character that, that we could hang these episodes on. Um, You know, you know, all this, you know, being said, you know, I've learned a lot about this is about job opportunity, um, for actors. And I had the privilege of working on a show called the, the Carmichael show,
1: um,
0: with a stand up comic named Gerard Carmichael. And.
1: That was actually a very funny show.
0: Yeah. I, I really loved it. It was on
1: NBC, I think.
0: Yes. Yeah. They kind of buried it in the summer and, uh, they, they never really knew what to do with it, but, um, you know, I got to work with a lot of black writers and actors, and we talked a lot in the room about, like, job opportunity and not being able to even get the chance to audition for something. Like, it was like, you know, there was, we're fine if you, you get the audition and you don't get the job, that's fine. But when you can't even get in the door for the audition to play a black character, you know, say, or to play a Hispanic character... You know that uh, to me that was a, a super valid point, and you know, a little bit of an eye opener for me of like, well, that's an unlevel playing field, uh, in my opinion. But I think it's important, and I hope everyone you know understands that none of this was ever done with any sort of um, ill intentions or, like I said, mocking portrayal. I think the, the Simpsons cast is one of the best casts in TV and they approach the characters, you know, all, they approach them all affectionately, you know, Uh, and that's how the show has always uh, been done. But I think we're making some changes now and that have been going on for the past year or so um, that, uh, that are good for the show. Uh, You know,
1: we once on MASH had a part for uh, an accordion player, Okay, USO Troop was coming through. So we had six guys coming in to read, and they all had their accordions, and they all played Lady of Spain, and they were all great. And we could have picked any one of them, and we did. We chose one, and I thought to myself, God, I feel so bad for the other five. It's like how many (laughs) calls do they get from their agent (laughs) saying we got a possible gig for you yeah you might be on mash (laughs) it's like (laughs) wow okay it's like once every 10 11 years they get called for an audition
0: Wow! yeah casting is the is like the worst because you do like so many people come in and you see so many that you like and you can pick one um and And the the ones that don't get
1: picked have no idea that they were that close, right. they just go. Uh, they hated me.
0: Yeah, and and you know how it like. Sometimes it's sometimes it's it's something as simple as uh, they're so much taller than the the actor they're going to be in the scene with, or the or they look too similar. Their hair color is the same, and we want somebody with more of a contrast. It's it can be so many different things. It seldom is the oh that actor was terrible. It's usually I found anyway like you know, 75% of the time that was not the case.
1: Yeah. You talk about getting letters. I remember when David and I were doing the show for Mary Tyler Moore and we got a letter that started out by saying, I read an article in TV Guide that talked about the rampant use of cocaine in Hollywood. And I thought, well, this can't be true. This is such an exaggeration. This Obviously, uh, cannot be true. And then I watched your show last night.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's you know, I, you know, I, I think in a way you we're kind of not doing our job. I like it when you get letters because it means people are really paying attention. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, you know, I I feel like our job has become to try to get people to look up from their phone three times during the show.
1: (laughs) Wow. Yeah, Uh, that that is very different.
0: At least when they were complaining, you knew they were watching.
1: So there you go. That's part one of my interview with Mike Scully. Next week, we spend a lot of time talking about parks and recreation and everybody loves Raymond and various other things uh, associated with comedy. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, and to Bruce and Jason Miller. My email address, should you wish to reach out to me, is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I am on Twitter. Of all places, at Ken Levine, also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Part two with Mike Scully coming up next week. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Hollywood and Levine.